Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. And if you are joining us online, good morning to you also. Before I ask you to stand and read the word with me, I just want to make a brief comment about what's going on um, concerning what is called abortion. Um, If you have been guilty of such a sin, God is ready to forgive you, completely forgive you. And sometimes I think we fail to communicate that uh, in our denouncing sin. It's important that we also make clear a door is, is there, that is open. You must repent. It's not enough to be sorry for your sin. You must admit it before God and work to turn from it. And uh, unfortunately, many of those who are protesting what they don't even know what they're doing, I think. None of them have been aborted. And uh, they just can't connect the dots because Satan has blinded them. And so we stand firm in what we believe. We preach the truth and hopefully with love. And um, uh, that that's what I wanted to start, uh, start out by saying. Well, we are going to s- stand and read in a moment from the book of Acts, chapter 5. We overlap from last uh, session, but we will read again verses 17, and in addition to where we stopped last week on verse 21, we'll take it to verse 31. This message is entitled, Zeal versus Zeal. It is a contest of passion. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word, beginning at verse 17, the book of Acts A little long, but worth it, as it all is. And when we come to these long sections to stand and read, just be grateful we're not in Leviticus. (laughs) Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Verse 22 now, But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, They returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain went with the officers, and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter... And the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. 
Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Please be seated. Well, the devil is zealous too. We're not the only ones that are zealous for Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah said concerning the Messiah when he came that zeal for his father's house would consume him. And Christ repeated that. And when we come to Christ, we get some of that fire, that zeal, that passion for the things of God. But Satan is also passionate in his insanity. And he finds those who are still in their sin to be his vessel, to do his bid. They don't have to believe in Satan to be his flunky. They do not have to believe in Satan to, be, to go to hell. All they have to do is reject Christ, reject God. And these Pharisees, they are very, these, well, Sadducees at this point, they are very passionate about their lifestyle, and their religion, their views, and their hatred for the Christ. And let's not forget that. We may lose some of it in the print, but in reality, they brought about the crucifixion, the violent and uh, gruesome death of the Christ. Looking again at verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. So the various leading uh, groups of religious authorities, and they were also civil authorities, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the leading ones. And here, the Sadducees, they, they had more money, really, than, than the Pharisees, and they were not as, as spiritual. And uh, they became particularly hostile towards the church after the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus, when he walked, he went straight at the Pharisees, that sect. But uh, in the, the, the church... As the church was born and moved forward, the Sadducees were the ones that uh, came against us. They were the spiritual liberals of their day. They did not believe in the angels. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they did not believe the spiritual things. And they were quite indignant at the report of uh, demonic activity being dealt with by the apostles. Now, if you've not been following preceding verse 17, the apostles were there in Jerusalem and they were performing these miracles. They were delivering people from the bondage of Satan. They were preaching Christ and the resurrection. It's pointless to deliver someone from the bondage of Satan physically if you're not delivering them spiritually. What does it profit a man if he gains his health and still goes to hell? And this is uh, something that uh, we, we never lose sight of as believers. Well, the teaching of the resurrection was a death blow to what the Sadducees believed. And they were threatened by the reception that the apostles were receiving. As, for instance, today, to preach that God created the universe from nothing. That is a death blow to those who believe in the evolution of the species and want to kind of block God out. And it's just bringing it up uh, to the time we live in. And they were filled with indignation. Well, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. 
because if they were, it would have been a, a whole nother matter. This word, now if you don't know this, the New Testament was originally recorded in the Greek language and is translated into various languages. That word in the original language, indignation, is zealous in the Greek, from where we get our English word, zeal, and jealousy. Uh, It is equally translated, jealousy or envy. And it takes a little time to get into the difference of the two. Envy involves more covetedness and jelly, jelly. (laughs) jealousy, uh, possessiveness. Well, this zeal, this indignation, describes their jealousy, how it showed up. And it means, in the Greek, zealous, hot, to be burning hot. And they were, they were hot. And we used it, boy, that guy was hot. He was angry at, at something. And how dare these nobodies defy us? Do they not know who we are? And so the high priest, supposedly, the high priest, the spiritual leader in Israel, is jealous over Satan's work being defeated. What a defective way to think. He was infuriated because sick people were being healed by other people. What difference does it matter? Well, to him it mattered everything. Verse 18, and laid, ha- and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. So they arrested them for this. The officers doing the arresting. Uh, You know, you look at them today, sometimes, I'm pro-police, but you you certainly don't want to see them put in a situation like this, uh, especially the the believing Christians. Um, It's just real. It is real. That's the point I'm trying to get. We're not reading a fairy tale. We're reading about real events that can happen and do happen again. These men were in prison for doing good. They committed no crime. The hope was to discredit, to discredit them. See, they're criminals. To discourage them. You, um, <clears throat> you've heard me reference, and well, you might know yourself about the Oxford Martyrs. These three scholarly men, now this happened in the year 1555. This is the year that they were burned at the stake, 1555 and 1556. One of them, Hugh Latimer, he wrote, Whenever you see persecution, there is more than a probability that truth is on the persecuted side. These men are being censored. They're being shut down. Now, Hugh Latimer, one of the scholars, the Oxford Martyrs, that was burned at the stake for daring to challenge uh, Bloody Mary, the Queen of London at the time, and or she was a devout Catholic, trying to reverse the English Reformation, uh, and, and violently so. Hugh Latimer was the oldest of the three martyrs. He was 68 years old when they burned him at the stake. Nicholas Ridley was 55 years old. And Thomas Cranmer, who was burned several months later, uh, he was 66 years old. The hatred, the hatred over what somebody believes that's different than what you believe is expressed in this violence. I mean, this wasn't a crime. This was not civil justice on people who were murdering people. This was just, we hate your religion, we hate you. 
And religious hatred is a special hatred. Well, these men, for them, these three men, the Bible was not only to live for, but to die for. And this is uh, what got them in trouble, that they stood by what the Scripture said and not what uh, supposed church authority said, church dogma. They went by what the Bible says. Don't think for one minute that those days are gone forever. And the book of Revelation makes it clear they are coming back, and they are coming back with a vengeance. And we'll get to some of that this morning um, if you let me speed up here. Verse 19 Uh, But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So we'll take verse 19 first. Again, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels. That's why they were sad, you see. Uh, (laughs) So sad we don't believe in angels. Anyway, God uses an angel to deliver the apostles. I mean, it's it's, it's... Ironic. It's it's humorous. It's uh, God sort of uh, defying their their uh, approach to to whatever it is they were approaching. Yet, with all of the the you know the angels are very powerful. We talk about we look at them and for, for example in in the book of Isaiah, one one angel wipes out an army, uh, hundred over one hundred eighty thousand men just in a single night. Uh, in the book of Revelation, of course, they thunder throughout its pages. With all that angelic power, that angel was not called to preach the gospel. With all that force, with all of his knowledge and holiness in the presence of God, sinners, saved by the grace of God, were called, were delivered from bondage, from jail, to preach the gospel. That should register with us. Now, this is an angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, you come across the angel, the definite article, the angel of the Lord. Oh, that is a Christophany. That is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, long before the virgin birth, because he is the eternal son. He is God the son. Uh, Now, looking at verse 20, The angel said to them, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Well, it was a waste of time to speak to their persecutors at this point. The people, to the people they were sent. They returned to the very scene where they were arrested. And not, this is very important. It wasn't because of some self-determination or they were just defiant men. It was because... They were commanded by the Lord to do this. The angel brought that message. Here's your orders. Here are your orders. Go back to where uh, you were preaching, where they arrested you. Now, going through Kings on Wednesday night, we talked about that powerful prophet Elijah. God told him, you need to get out of here. Go to the the brook Kirith and hide out there. The point that I am making is we must be led by the Lord and not some uh, passion or view that is homegrown, that comes from within. It's what is God leading me to do. Now, God's never going to lead us contrary to Scripture, but he will, and often does, lead us contrary to what we might be thinking. These men, when they were delivered from jail, they might have thought, well, we're going to go home. 
That's not what was happening. And they probably did go home first. Anyway, anyway, their return to that spot, the place of arrest, will land them an honorable beating before this is all over. He says, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Well, servants, that's what they were. And they weren't called to be free. They were called to preach. We have come to expect this from these apostles as we've moved through. We've watched them mature from the days that they walked with Christ in Galilee. There are times to flee. There are times to engage, directly engage. Let's go back to Kings again with that prophet Elijah. And at one point, they come to arrest him. And he said, man of God, come with us. You're under arrest. And he says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And whoosh, they were gone. Uh, that is a pretty powerful prophet. But before that, going back to his uh, great escape, God said to him, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. And he wasn't ashamed to hide at the command of God. That's what was called for. And he wasn't ashamed to go stand in front of Ahab when that was called for either. But it's this reference here. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Okay, Christians, what do you speak to people? Well, I hope that when you do speak the words of life, it is at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter has the honor of coining this phrase in the Bible. The words of life. In John's gospel, when you know, Jesus didn't ask people to come back to church. When they decided to leave, he said, okay, see you. Uh, and then he turns to the ones that stayed. Are you staying or are you going too? And this is a pattern that I think the churches should follow. Well, at this point, Jesus preached a sermon that a lot of people didn't like. So much so, they said, we're out of here. We're leaving this church. We're not coming back. I don't know if they always talk like that, but you get the feeling that they do. Some of you have left other churches. Did you say that to you like that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, just having a little fun. Don't, don't get uptight over that. But you won't because the anointing is on. Uh, anyway, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I, I love that. Where are we going to go? Nobody's got this. Just you. And we're not giving it up for anybody. Some of those people that left, I like them. But this is where I belong. I wish we would catch more of that. So Peter is the one. And later he will write, His divine power has given to you all things that pertain to life. It is one of the scripture verses that a lot of Christians uh, bypass, even reject. They don't believe that the scripture gives you all the words that pertain to human behavior. You want to know how to behave, what to do? I, I think one of the setbacks or great causes of Christians crumbling is that they're not ready for the opposition. God says, I'm going to be with you. But he does not say, you will not be opposed. He promises all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in one form or another. Be it from your flesh, be it from somebody else, it's coming. And when you know this, it's, the hit is not, you're not sucker punched. You're, 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 you're ready for this. And thinking that God is just going to sweep all of your bad feelings, your moods away, your depression away, your, your anger, your road rage, it's not going to happen like that, more than likely. 
What is going to happen is you're going to have to draw your short sword because the enemy is going to be that close to you. Your long sword is going to be useless at that point. You need both. And I, I think that the, the role of the pastor to ready the sheep and because he's got to be ready himself. So I'm not just telling you some ivory tower words where I'm just up in some ivory tower and I don't have to face these things. I face them too. There are things that give me a knot in my stomach. There are things pastoring that I say, oh gosh, I've got to deal with this. Well, that's the heat in the kitchen. And that's where you've been called to. Take it. Okay, I'm going to take it. But, but, I don't want to take it, Lord, if you're not with me. Well, I'm going to be with you. All right. Everything gets better after that. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time deal. It's not I'm, I'm strong today and I'm going to be strong forever in this life. This is not how it works. It works as I'm strong today and I can be strong next time if I follow the basics and stick with the Lord. Well, uh, they are told, give the words. That is the complete gospel. Do not leave out that which hurts and make sure you don't leave out that which helps. This is what they're told to do. You know, a half-filled prescription can kill somebody. We do not have a half-filled gospel. We have the whole thing. The worst results follow keeping back the doctrine. What are you saving them to? Well, you know, I'm not going to tell them the truth. Paul said, because I tell you the truth, am I now your enemy? Well, it has to be that way because I'm not going to lie to you to be your friend. We may not see the results of holding back doctrine from preaching our faith and being witnesses. But they will follow. They will come. The damage will happen if we withhold the truth and the teaching. Maybe the next generation will parade the damage for us. Maybe some of that is what's going on. The churches have been withholding the truth, withholding the doctrine. Preoccupied, not all churches, of course, but many of them, preoccupied with just getting people into the pews and getting attendance and building on that addition or whatever else it is they're trying to do except... Preach to Christ. Maybe that next generation will parade the damage done by truth concealed or withheld. Unsaved people are sinners under the blanket of darkness. and Therefore, they are blind. And to help them get out of that, there's that witness of our life and there's the preaching of the truth. Let's just consider some doctrines that you should know. The advents, plural, of Christ... That is his first coming and his second coming, which has not yet occurred. The virgin birth. Do you know how to preach about it? It's a miracle. So I don't believe in a virgin birth. It's crazy. It doesn't happen. Well, that's the whole point. The whole point of the virgin birth is saying this is unlike anything you've ever seen before. And it's only the beginning of what's coming. The virtuous life of Christ. That he and he alone was sinless. No one else. No one else of human beings sinless except the Christ. His death in my place, doctrinally called vicarious death. The death of Christ for me. Christ died on the cross as a sinner, being sinless though, taking my punishment for my sin. He died for me as me. And he covers all sinners. His victorious resurrection. Don't leave that out. He's the one that died and got up again. The deity of Christ. 
do you do we preach that that Christ is the Son of God, therefore equal with the Father, not counting it robbery to be equal with the Father? Or are we preoccupied with our own problems that we can't get to these doctrines? Maybe that's why God doesn't bring the unbelievers our way. The doctrine of justification. How God sees me because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. That he doesn't look at my sins. He sees what Christ has done. That he has washed them all away. That this justification does not belong to everybody, but only to those who come. Sanctification, the processes of Christianity and the development as a Christian. Becoming more and more like Christ. Glorification, what we get in the end. The rewards. We get heaven. No more tears, no more sorrow. No more telemarketers. <laughs> well, God loves them too, but they need to repent. <laughs> they have the gift of annoyance. annoyance. Anyway, grace and commandments. We need to preach these things to unbelievers. And I, Well, that's a serious doctrine for later. No, it's not. All doctrine is for right now if we can articulate it. Paul taught believers in Thessalonica about the second coming of Christ, the end times. The filling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the ruin that sin has done to all humanity, the redemption that is available, and the judgment to come. These are doctrines. And when the apostles were told to go teach, this was in their teaching. It belonged to it. Should someone have cross-examined them, asked them a question, they would have been ready because of their doctrine. You take notes, that's one thing. Do you study those notes? Does the doctrine get in you? Can you say, this is what I believe? These are fundamentals. They're not complicated. Now, there are those that can take any one of the doctrines that I listed and complicate it so much you won't know what, what to believe. You've got to learn to avoid those types. They write thick books on one subject. Uh, just, you know, these things are very simple. Don't be intimidated by the word doctrine. Uh, teaching is another word. It's, it's what we believe. So, the angel says, speak to the people all the words of this life. That is doctrine. That is what we believe about this life because of Jesus Christ. And you're not going to stumble into it. You're not going to just somehow figure it out on your own. These things come through the Spirit of God. They are taught. They are... you. Every Christian is to be homeschooled in Christ by their Father. And he uses the Christ and the Holy Spirit and himself, and this is how he has arranged it. I, I, I admire universities, how much knowledge is there to a point. And there's the point. I don't want to, I don't come up here and teach you about medicine or civil engineering or science, and I don't appreciate them teaching the Word of God. That is for the house of God. And by doing it the way they've done it, they have complicated and ruined everything, if you ask me. Well, no one's asked you. Well, then I'll ask myself. <laughs> anyway, I'll restrain myself. I'm getting zealous. I'm becoming hot. Because it is about zeal. I, I want Christians to be in schools, to be in universities, to be in many places. Not every place, but in many places. We want the Christians to be, to bring the gospel. 
but we want to understand, too, the importance of the church. As I said this, I think, last week, you should not have the same feeling when you walk into a supermarket or a retail store or a, uh, a garage or anywhere, a hospital, you should not have the same feeling as when you walk into the house of God. And, uh, the, it is the only place that I know of where Christ says that he bought the church, the ecclesia, the assembly with his blood. Well, if he feels that way about it, I'm going to feel that way about it. I believe in these things because I believe the Bible teaches them. I believe in the high office of a pastor, not because I am a pastor, but because the Bible teaches that. When Paul said to Titus, don't let them despise your authority. We need these kind of things. Do you feel a little uneasy around your pastor? You should. That's a good thing. I didn't, I'm not totally uneasy. That would be a bad thing. But there's that little edge. You know, this guy bites. And, and it's good. When I was around my pastor, I knew, you know, he's my pastor. He's got this authority that I consent to. And this holds everything together better than anything else. It's called reverence. And reverence is a good thing if it is not abused. Well, coming back to this zeal versus zeal, because as the apostles were zealous for what they were preaching, there were those zealous for shutting them down. They were so jealous that they murdered Christ to do it. Verse 21, And when they had heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came, called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. I've been waiting for this verse all morning just to say this little thing. When they heard that, that stoked the men. They were delivered by an angel. Go preach it. They were stoked when they heard that. I just, I love this part of, of, of verse 21 in this section we're in. The angel in verse 20 told them, go, and they're going. They entered the temple early in the morning and taught. They were called to preach, and they were called to pray, and they were called to perform. Now, this uh, part about uh, they, they entered the temple early in the morning. Well, they were delivered at night, which suggests that, well, okay, we're free from jail. Let's go home, freshen up, because we've got to get to the temple early. And that's what seems to be going on. Luke uh, doesn't bog us down with those details. He's got better ones for us. Verse 22. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported. Verse 23, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Verse 24, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. <laughs> I bet they did. So, they, uh, they're delivered miraculously from this jail. And when the officers come to bring them before the council, they find them not there. They report this to, uh, in verse 21, where it says they entered the temple in the morning. Uh, that's not what I wanted to look for. Let's see. Uh, yeah, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council. They had this big council going about these disciples. They go to bring them before them. They're gone. 
spiritual blindness to Christ is worse than any other handicap known to man because of its reach. It reaches beyond this life. It takes people to hell. And, of course, Satan has decided if we can just bloat that word hell to make it mean less than what it means, we will dumb down a lot of people. And so it's used for what the... And it's used it everywhere. You know, before they can just say no, they have to put that in front of it. Why does somebody have to say hell no? Why not say no to hell and draw closer to Christ instead? You've got it all messed up. Why? Because you're blind. You can't see. Well, I'm looking right at you. Yeah, but you're not looking at Christ. You can't see who he is. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul, whose heart was never far away from reaching the lost and desiring to. He says, whose mind, the God of this age, has blinded. Satan is only God of this age because he has been appointed by the people under his sway. God is that controlling influence. And some people have a controlling influence that's a lie. It's called idolatry. They make up their own gods. So when Paul says, whose mind the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You, can't say, you cannot say that about any angel or any prophet. That you Could someone say, you're the image of God? No, we are made in his image, but that image has been marred by sin. And so when you look at another human being, you're not seeing what God created. You're seeing what has happened because of sin. And then the reconstruction starts when you're born again, regenerated into the image of Christ. It would be blasphemous if he were less than God to say, I am being transformed into the image of someone less than God. That's not good enough. No, I'm being transformed into the image of the Son of God, who is God the Son. So, those who are looking to protest against decency in churches, and today, you know, they got the, their word out to go disrupt and agitate, they're blind. They're blind. They don't see who Christ is, and they don't see where they're going. That does not excuse them. This kind of blindness is not something that will pardon them. They must come to Christ. Paul, when he gives a testimony about his conversion, he says, I saw the light. I saw it. Another thing that the world likes to goof on, you know, they make comedy of it. Oh, I saw the light, brother. No, you did not. And if you did and you're too dumb to go to the light, then, then you deserve to be that dumb. You say, that's harsh. But it's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's the bad cop in us that has to make its point. And I just use the bad cop in me. I like the bad cop in me. <laughs> I just got to watch him because he gets, you know, bad. Anyway, verse 25. <clears throat> So one came and told them, saying, Look, the man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. There they go again. What an exciting time to be a Christian in Jerusalem, right? For now, because trouble's on the horizon. Uh, death is coming to believers. Verse 26, Then the captain went with the officers who brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Yeah, the, the people were being blessed, and here comes the authority now, and they want to put an end to this, so they've got to watch their step. 
this, that was their motive for not abusing the apostles. Not, well, they, they arrested them peacefully because they were taken by the message, which was happened with Christ. Christ preached, they went to arrest him, and the officers come back and say, nobody has preached like this. We, we just couldn't, what could we do? Anyway, the apostles go peacefully. Now we're going to be coming up close to civil disobedience here. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, verse 28, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They couldn't even say his name. There's something very special about the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. There is, there is a, a shortened version of the name Yahweh saves. That's what the name means. The name of Jesus or Yahshua. Um, Moses is the one that shortened, uh, took Joshua and gave him that, that name and shortened it. It was Yahweh. It's not Hebrew, but uh, that's what I'm talking about. Anyway, verse 27, the stark contrast between the apostles and the members of this council. This council, they were refined. They were religious, well-educated, and powerful. Nothing wrong with any of those, except their ministry had no power because they were anti-Christ. That's what, where it goes wrong. The apostles, they were common people, some of them not well educated, but educated. They were not ignorant men. They were born again, and with the power of God, they were changing lives, unlike anything anybody had ever saw. The council was trying desperately to retain their influence, the council's influence, and not let the apostles outdo them. And the people start listening to them. So, with risk to their lives, the apostles state the truth of the living God from his word. Paul would write this to the church in Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He said, I want to get there. I want to share some, some spiritual fruit with you. I want to make a righteous boast that, you know, I was there and I preached in Rome and he said, but so in writing this letter to them, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes. And that is a fact. There's not a height requirement, a weight requirement. We're all glad about that. Uh, there's just, you come, and Christ is hated for this. How dare he do that? In verse 28, they insisted that the apostles submit to their authority. Didn't we command you? Didn't we insist you use our pronouns? Y'all got some nerve. Is that a pronoun? In that? Anyway. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What an honor. The enemy is admitting that they were succeeding. You didn't have to pay a marketing agency to go find out how you were doing. Teaching the person of Christ, his cross, his resurrection. The Old Testament law already covered morality, and these were to, and still is a Jew centered, a Jewish centered environment. And there was no need yet to, to go into thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Paul's going to have to do a lot of that when he's dealing with Gentiles coming into the church because they're going to be bringing all sorts of lewdness with them. 
uh, polygamy being just one of them. 1 Corinthians 2, in connection to you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, because that's what all they were preaching. For I determined, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wasn't trying to be a shrewd businessman or anything like that. He was just preaching Christ. And here, as I mentioned, the enemies of Christ, they acknowledged that this witness of the disciples was working. Because they weren't being the lawyers for Christ, having to, we don't defend Christ. We present the truth. And that does its own work. Uh, They did not fill this city with anything but their doctrine. That's what is said here. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Well, a dirty conscience remains dirty without repentance. These men said, his blood be upon us. This is the same group of boys here. In Matthew 27, verses 22 to 25, it is cataloged forever. It is written down. Here's what these guys said. Because they're not going to tell you what they said, so we're going to tell you what they said. In fact, the Gospels were written, you know, decades after the events, and it was fresh still. It's like, no, 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 no. We didn't miss this. The oral witness of the disciples, apostles was thinning out, so they began to put it on, in, put it in writing. So Luke writes down forever how they tried to spin the blame on the apostles from Satan's pen to Hitler's playbook to the way of political liberalism and progressive style today. And at, during World War II, strategic, one of the strategic offices of the United States put together an analysis of what Hitler was doing and saying. And I'll just take four of them, because there are more. One of the way Hitler would do business in his big lie with Goebbels and those, boy, those guys, never admit a fault or wrong. Have you seen any polit- political party practice this? Never accept blame. That's what these guys are doing here. That's why I'm bringing this up. It's relevant. Never concede that there may be some good in your enemy. Never leave room for alternatives. Well, that's evolutionary science, is it not? The only alternative they have to, to evolution of the species is, well, Martians put us here. Uh, I'm serious. It's, you know, Sagan, Carl Sagan the pagan. It was what he, We abandoned evolution, and he started saying, okay, well, we can't prove evolution. In fact, we know it's not possible, so we'll just go to the stars. Uh, anyway, enough are ignorant enough to swallow these things. These men were spinning around what they did and trying to blame the apostles of Christ. You're trying to bring this man's blood on us. Yeah, because you did it. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Peter won't have it. Peter's not going to stand for this. You know, Peter could not restrain himself sometimes when he needed to restrain himself. Well, this is one time when the Lord says, go get him, Peter. (laughs) You don't have to restrain yourself. It's going to get them all almost killed if it weren't for God raising up the mouth of Gamaliel, who is the most influential Pharisee of the time. We'll get that next session, coming attraction. But verse 29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Unawed, unwavering. Peter is saying, I'm not impressed with you. I see your robes. I know you've got all these credentials. You've got a lot of power. You've got guys here with swords. I'm not impressed. What can you do to somebody like that? You, 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 know, you, you persecute them. Proverbs 29, verse 25. 
The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in Yahweh shall be safe. Okay, so you come to church and the Holy Spirit's packing this information into you, hopefully. He's packing this charge into you. But when you get out in front of the unbeliever, you can't let it out the way you've received it all the time. Most of the time, you've got to take it and uh, repackage it for them without diluting it. That's what works. That's what I have found that works. Uh, Listening to the truth, being excited about it, and then getting in front of them and sort of just being very gentle and, and letting the words crush them, letting them know you're filthy before God. Regardless of what you th- good deeds you think you've done, they're all like filthy rags, thus saith the Lord. However, God's love, God's grace will take you in. But you've got to come on his terms and stop it with this nonsense about, I think God is. Who cares what you think God is if it doesn't match what God says you are? That is preaching the gospel with love. Well, not like that tone. I mean, you, you should see me at work around unbelief. I'm so nice. I'm like, hi. Hi, my name is Rick. You're going to hell. But I can help you. I really don't like you, but I'm afraid of Christ. So I have to act like I love you. <laughs> no. No, I can honestly say in dealing with, with sinners, you just get this love in your heart for them when you're sharing the gospel. And if it's not happening, do you ask God for it? Uh, I have preached to enemies and um, just to have this love for them. Um, anyway, Peter stands, stands up to them. He's not debating them. He's not saying, okay, you go. <laughs> what is your opposing view? Give me a persuasive argument. No, he's not doing He's declaring the gospel. This is it. Take it or leave it. And you've got to love him for this. He's letting truth, not persuasive uh, words, as Paul boasted about. Paul, Paul said, I'm glad I don't use persuasive words, but I give you the truth of the gospel. Uh, Peter gave him a dose of this back in Acts chapter 4. And there he said you're, to the people, your leaders, they really didn't, they did it in ignorance. But they're still accountable. So he's not submitting to the civil authorities, which gives us this discussion on what is called civil disobedience. I don't think that's the right name for the Christian. The Christian says it's not civil disobedience. It's obedience to God. Uh, man has to label things, and we benefit from that. The Dewey Decimal System, wasn't that ingenious? Who came, who came up with that? Somebody named Dewey. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, mean, I wish my name was attached to something good forever, you know. Anyhow, the Jewish midwives in Exodus, they defied Pharaoh. We're not killing these kids. Aram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses, we're not killing him. We're just going to put him on a, on a little raft in and, and crocodile-fested waters. <laughs> because God can shut the mouths of the crocodiles just like he shuts the mouths of lions, and that is what happened. Then there's Daniel. What would you say? That's law? I can't pray? <laughs> Watch this. Uh, then the Hebrews, you know, when you hear the beat, you need to bow. Nope, we're not doing it. Well, they threw them in the furnace for that one. Mordecai, that's one of my favorites. Mordecai knew Haman hated the Jewish people. And Mordecai, of course, with his sleazy ways, he gets promoted. And that, uh, uh, not Mordecai, Haman, sorry. Haman is the villain. 
Mordecai is the, the, the good guy. So Mordecai says, I'm not bowing to this guy. When, so here he comes. Here comes, here comes Haman down the street. Everybody's bowing down. And, and <laughs> Mordecai is like, yeah, check this out. And I'm not bowing to you. However, we're talking about this so-called civil disobedience. It comes with a price. Let's finish this. Peter has two jailbreaks. This one and another one in chapter 12. Paul, uh, when he's let down over a wall in Damascus to escape the governor's uh, warrant out for his execution. Then there are the defiant ones of Revelation chapter 20. See, we have this dual citizenship. We have one on earth and we have one in the kingdom of heaven. And that is the primary. That is our primary citizenship. We are subject first to the kingdom of heaven. And if some law puts us in a position where we have to disobey God, then we don't. We don't follow that. Revelation uh, 20 verse 4. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They paid with their lives for their disobedience to men. So when Peter says we ought obey God rather than men, he knows what he's facing. They already killed his master on the cross. Defiance did not end the attacks in any of the ones I read to you. From the Jewish midwives to the uh, defiant ones in Revelation to the Peter here. It escalated. The problems escalated. They're going to kill James. They're going to kill Stephen. They're going to chase the Christians out of Jerusalem. So when we talk about we are going to defy the law, you better be understanding it comes with a price. There's a consequence to this. Satan is zealous. It is zeal versus zeal. Who is going to outpassion the other? If we are preoccupied with ourselves all the time, then you're not going to be preoccupied with Christ enough. Uh, the Christ-centered life is hard. It's easy to get hold of. It's hard to retain. Because... We are built in such a way because of sin that there are going to be times we're going to feel God has let us down. There may be many times you feel God has let you down. But you know you're wrong, and so you continue. We even sing songs. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is faith. But it, it makes its mark, and we have to be ready for this. Were I told that I could not speak the truth, the Bible truth, against homosexuality, or the murder of the unborn. Um, I, I think I, I would, so help me God, I'd rather be persecuted than shut my mouth about those things. I don't preach them because I agree with them only. I preach them because I preach the word of God. That is my motive. And um, if they're going to behead me, well, um, that would that, be the way it is. You would think what the Bible is telling us about this Revelation 20, verse 4, verse, is you think that the ancient ways were archaic and gone? Well, they're not. Sin is not a respecter of generations or calendars or anything like that. These people will hate Christians so much 
That is the mode of execution they will choose. Oh, some of them might say, yeah, but it's, you know, it's a mercy killing. Anyway, he says ought not. Now, we use the word ought as though it's, you know, a choice. It's not that intense. I should not. But that's not what the Greek word means here, and it's not what the English word originally means. Ought to be held or bound in duty or moral obligation. Your more liberal modern dictionaries won't word it that way. So I encourage you to, when you use a dictionary, don't be a prisoner of modern speech because it has been corrupted by people with an agenda. Anyway, uh, verse 30, the God of our... Well, let me pause it. Just look at the word gay, for example. As far as I'm concerned, uh, gay is when I'm happy and gay is when I find 20 bucks on the sidewalk. That's happy and gay without violating the moral code. But if you go by the dictionary, you'd be in big trouble with that. Just walk into the office and say, I'm happy and gay, and you have a bunch of buddies. (laughs) Anyway, God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. He is in their face. He's not putting up with their nonsense. The statement directly refuted what they just said and their defective ways. Matthew 12, 24, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? Well, I'm just talking away. i got a clock here in front of me. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. Uh, But I need to button this up. So bear with me, please. Whom you murdered, that is straightforward. Again, the name Jesus, a contraction for Yahweh is salvation. And when Peter uses the name, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, Yeshua to them. He's, Peter is wasting no words and no time. Again, he's not restraining himself when it comes to the righteous truth. This is how zealous and dedicated to the cause the Christians were, the first Christians. And as the trial progresses, the, the disciples become the judges and the council become the accused. Peter is prosecuting them. Their response will be violence. By hanging on a tree, gruesome fact, because it was a cross made of a tree. It's careful we understand this. The word tree here in the Greek is zulon, which means timber, that which is made from a tree. It can refer to a tree, a live tree, but it's timber. And, of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses can't figure that out because they don't have any Greek scholars. They just change words arbitrarily. So by using the word tree, as is used and translated here, zulon, he ties the cross of Christ to the curse on those hung from a tree, any kind of tree. Whether the Romans chose to execute on timber, but they got it where timber comes from, um, a lumberjack's mouth, uh, from, from a tree. Galatians 3, Paul makes this clear, because Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is the one that hangs on a tree. Well, Christ became a curse for us. Galatians 3, 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So it's significant that Peter says, you hung him on a tree. You guys know what that means. Cursed is anyone that is hung on a tree. And he was cursed for us. And this was the gospel message that they were preaching on behalf of sinners. Simon the Cyrenian did not carry the tree of Christ. You see, he carried the cross. 
He carried uh, wood, uh, of course, from a tree. Now, they didn't, it wasn't sanded down and, you know, the edges were fine. It was very ugly. It's just uh, enough wood to hang a human being on it. When the, they persec- when the Romans uh, executed the slaves of, from the Spartacus Rebellion, they ran out of, well, no, sorry. Well, they executed them too. When they executed the Jews at the rebellion of the Jews, when they finally took Jerusalem, they ran out of wood to crucify the Jewish people. Uh, any, uh, anyway, verse 31. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince, savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To repent. The doctrine of forgiveness. William Booth has said about the 20th century, the chief danger of the 20th century century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How many churches are, are living that out? Well, anyway... Let's uh, close this up, verse 32. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so is so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You think they would ask about that? He's called a witness, and he does witness just that. Uh, he says here, to those who obey to those who obey him, the Spirit is given to those who obey him. This is the will of God. Not that we should render blind obedience, but that we should render intelligent obedience based on the word. Otherwise, who needs doctrine? Well, we need doctrine. We need teaching, and that's why there is this emphasis. Well, that's all we have time for. Well, we went over time, and so we'll, we'll close in prayer next week. We'll close up this phase of their persecution and meet um, Gamaliel. Our Father, your word never comes up short. Just the passion we have for it, we want everyone to have it. We know that's not how it's going to be. But we also know that there are others who will receive it. You know who they are, and we do not yet. May you bring into our lives those whom we can preach these truths to with a zeal uncommon to man outside of the Holy Spirit. If you've been listening and you've never opened your heart to Christ, and you're guilty before God. Your sins are on you. It's your choice. You have a say-so. You had no say-so in being born into this life. You have every say-so as to whether or not you will be born again into eternal life. All you got to do is come, confess your sins, and repent before God. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I've violated your laws. And I ask you to forgive me. There is none, no, not one without sin. And none can take their sin away. It requires a Savior, and you are he. And I come to you, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be not only the one who saves me from judgment for my sin, but also the one that rules over my life right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning to receive you as their Savior, then, Lord, may they not back away from it. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.